Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where after one of the most uneven, injury-ridden, mentally and physically exhausting seasons with no real pause in between to even celebrate last year's championship accomplishments, it made sense that the Lakers' title-defending season would come to an abrupt end in the miserable way that it did. From the players to the coaching staff to the medical trainers right down to the fans, It seemed like by season's end, we all just desperately needed some space. So welcome to a summer of space. Welcome to the Space Jam. I'm your host, John Fernandez. I am joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander and Alan Riley. Alan, let's start with you. How are you feeling about the Lakers and the season that was now, that we're a week or two removed? And give me a quick one-minute answer on... Okay, actually, let's start with... How you immediately felt once we got eliminated. So that would be game six. And then we can get to like how you're feeling now a bit later. Okay. Uh, game six feels like it was about a month ago at this point, honestly. Um, I mean, we could all see the writing on the wall. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, fine. Maybe they can uh, pull off some upset in this one game. But why is it going to matter? Because Anthony Davis can barely even walk like a normal human functioning human being at this point. So, I mean, seeing that right from the jump was like, yo, he shouldn't be out there. It's just a matter of time. And that matter of time was like 300 seconds. Right. And from that point on, all the air got let out of the building, you know, whatever you want to say. And we, we got down big again. And then Furious come back and it's like, all right, I mean, this is all kind of in vain. <laughs> like, what does this actually mean going forward? Because AD is not going to be able to play, like, for the rest of the playoffs anyway. Um, so in some ways, it's like it's like this, this dying animal, you know, that just kind of needs to be put out of its misery um, as opposed to just continuing to suffer. And uh, obviously, that's, that's what happened. We were mercifully, you know, put down, um, although it was not quick and easy and painless by any stretch. No, it was not. I will say that even though the writing was on the wall, I think, I mean, Alan, you and I podcasted right before game five. And for me, I was like, all right, guys, this is your chance. You know, 80 is not going to be there, but this is your time to make your name as a Laker. And then we just have our worst loss. I think probably, I can't remember the last time we had a loss like that in the playoffs. We're losing by like 30 points in just the second quarter. We end the game and Dennis Schroeder, we're like, Dennis Schroeder is at the top of our list of guys who are going to, you know, show up. And then he literally gets zero points, zero for nine. And I'm like... How in that you could not have concocted a worse performance from all of these guys. And so 
even though I have some perspective on it now, I think initially I was just like, dude, these guys, I don't care what they do with this roster. They can ship this guy. They can ship that guy. This is just pathetic, you know? Um, I understood that AD was injured or whatever, but I had a very, like, degaff sort of mindset after Game 5 and Game 6 just because I would have thought that she would at least have gone down with a little bit more pride. Oh, yeah, Game 5 was absolutely disgusting. I totally agree with you. That that I'm, I'm just talking about, like, Game 6, you know, because at that point we knew. But, yeah, if you got me to talk about Game 5, that would... That would go on too long. <laughs> All right, Tommy, what about you? How are you feeling initially after that? Are you kind of like Alan where you're like, yeah, I saw this coming the moment that we knew that AD wouldn't be right. Or maybe the moment we saw AD try to come back and then he wasn't able to even play past six minutes. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, you kind of saw what this team could be game three. That was the peak, this team, right? And that was this team at, on the verge of getting better and I was super, super excited. But this season from the beginning has been kind of cursed. I mean, it's like you hate to pull that card, but it's like, you know, 80 goes down or midseason and you everybody kind of goes like, ah, whatever. It's like, you know, it's 80. He's always kind of nicked up here and there. But then it's like he's going to be out for almost two months. And then it's like, oh, wait, uh, maybe this is like old school AD injuries where he just misses crazy amounts of time. And then it's like LeBron's like, okay, don't worry, I'm going to carry. And then he goes down like a week later. And then... We sign Andre Drummond and get all excited about him, and he breaks his toenail off his foot. And like, I mean, you know, and like in the middle of all this, you know, in the middle of all this, we have Marcus All going out for COVID. We have Dennis Schroeder going out uh, for COVID. He actually ended up going out multiple times over the season for COVID. And um, LeBron comes back into the season and comes back for a game, and then he's back out for a few more games. It's just like it was nonstop all season long. AD never looked right the whole season. I mean, he looked pretty good in games two and three of the of the playoffs, but um, I would say that's probably the closest he looked to bu- bubble AD, but he didn't look quite even at, at bubble AD at that point. So I, I guess, you know, like Alan kind of said, the writing felt like it was on the wall, not, not just even when AD got hurt, but, you know, the really the whole season. And, and so I kind of came to terms with it. We have four and a half months now to get ready for next season and, it's going to be a much, much needed break for a lot of the guys on this team and, and kind of retool. And and we have just enough here still. I mean, when you have LeBron and AD, you always have enough. Um, so, you know, you, you take those two guys, you take the coaching staff, um, you make some tweaks on, on the fringes. Uh, you still have Rob Palenka, who I think is an underrated, you know, GM still. And, and, uh, and the most dangerous thing for the rest of the NBA is this – group of guys that I just mentioned being motivated and kind of reinvigorated for another run next season. And and so I think, uh, I think I'm optimistic about next year and that's kind of helping with what happened this year. Yeah. I think I'm honestly relieved that we, like Alan said, got put down. Cause even if we had gotten out of that Phoenix round, I'm not sure how healthy Anthony Davis would have been. It seemed like LeBron James was kind of sputtering on one and a half wheels as well. You know what I mean? And oh, yeah. If anything, we just needed to – it would have even made, I think, compounded things if we had gotten into like a Game 7 series with the Nuggets or whatever and gotten ourselves more banged up, et cetera, because I don't think we would have won anyways. I mean, Alan, before Game 5, I asked you, does it kind of feel like this isn't our year, you know, especially if – yeah, we can get past this first round, but what happens when we have to face, you know – the Brooklyn Nets or whatever. And obviously, and maybe this puts everything into context and perspective now with the way that people are just, players are just going down left and right, big stars, that it's almost like 
maybe this was like an asterisk gap year to take for us, you know? On the one hand, you're like, all right, well, everybody's going down. Maybe we could have just, even if we were 70% healthy, like defended our title. At the same time, we also know that if we had done that, everybody would be putting a double asterisk on this year, right? And saying, well, look at all the players that went down. So I'm almost like, you know what? Let's get the rest. We didn't even have a proper offseason. Let's not take the asterisk championship because we already have one in our bag because people (laughs) are just going to put that on us, you know, it being the bubble. And objectively speaking, it is like the most unique situation in NBA history, right? Okay, fine. We'll take that asterisk. From my perspective, I'm just like, you know what? Let's just hit reset. This was exhausting mentally and physically for everybody involved. And let's start up anew. And we'll get into, you know, what went wrong this season outside of just injuries and and why the writing was on the wall, maybe even sooner than this uh, first round. And what we can take away from this season to bring into next season where it's like, okay, now we have two years of what a competitive championship team looks like. We see what worked. We see what didn't. Uh, What can we apply And this is obviously, yes, we know injuries is the overriding narrative here, but I think there were some other things that we could probably talk about. And and so let's now talk about, you know, now that we're about two weeks removed, now that we have perspective and now that we have this sort of like, yeah, we'll just look at the playoffs. Each team outside of the Phoenix Suns is missing like one or two stars, Phoenix Suns and maybe the Milwaukee Bucks, right? I think probably for a lot of fans, there was a lot of overreaction and they probably had a bad taste in their mouth immediately after we got eliminated. And the proper sentiment or the common sentiment probably was, let's just blow everything up. On the one hand, LeBron looks mortal. Uh, This is the end. He looks like a shell of himself. Anthony day-to-day Davis is back. Can't rely on him for full seasons. Schroeder didn't step up in the game we needed him to step up the most. He literally had zero points. Let him walk. Kuzma couldn't shoot the entire series, and he was just turning the ball over in the last game at home. We can't rely on him. Trade him. Trez didn't even play. Let him walk. Uh, wasted signing. Marcus All is good situationally, but he can't move. We're screwed. AD never wants to play center. We need a real bruiser next to him, not Andre Drummond. So et cetera, et cetera, right? But now that we've had two weeks, God, negative Nancy. I know. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying yeah, what some, I'm saying what no, some know, fans know, probably you, added their minds. Pessimistic, Peter. that's not a real one (laughs) all right so alan now that we've had some time to think about things and actually reflect back on our season i think while it is sort of proper to judge people based off of their playoff performances i'm not even sure what you can take away from a first round that once anthony davis went down and you saw the worst out of guys how much you can actually take away from that because the whole team sort of just fell off a cliff too and you could sense that like if Kuzma and Dennis Schroeder looked terrible, even if they had done well during those last two games, would that really have made a difference for anybody? So, yeah, just your thoughts on getting more perspective now that we've been two weeks removed. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like you said, had they performed well and we still got knocked out of the first round, what does that actually change, you know? Um, I mean, the the prevailing thought from the team as a whole is, like, we should run it back we didn't really have a fair shot at this thing and uh, everybody seems like they're pretty on board you know and it doesn't seem like there's dysfunction um from like a cultural point of view at least for most of the players i don't know maybe some uh were displeased with their roles you know for pretty obvious reasons and i wouldn't blame them um like just talking about montrez you know specifically like mm-hmm. the guy was getting so many dnps um but beyond that I mean, I think, I don't know if uh, the issue is, like, so, like, deep-seated, 
you know, the like you said, all the blow it up kind of stuff. That's probably an overreaction Monday kind of a take, mm-hmm. um, which is totally understandable, right, to feel that way. But at this point, um, it, it's actually kind of hard for me to pinpoint what it is beyond the injuries. You know, like 21 and 6, AD didn't even look that great <laughs> during that first stretch at the beginning of the season. Um, and, and LeBron's injury, you know, it was like a contact freaking like football injury. You know what I'm saying? That mm-hmm. it, it, that has nothing to do with age. And even if he were 21 years old, it'd take a long-ass time to heal from that sort of thing. And we saw what he could do just taking off of his left foot. You know what I mean? And, like, moving laterally, yeah, sure, you got an ankle problem. That is what it is. But he still has, like, the juice. You know what I'm saying? So all this LeBron is, like, uh, super, like, average human being is, is just BS to me. Um Obviously, we need to tweak some things. I mean, we, we learned a lot about players just even from the regular season, right? Like playoffs notwithstanding. Um, but in terms of like what that actually is, I, I think, you know, maybe players like their individual goals and motives is something that needs to be inspected and, and yeah. truly vetted, right? Like who who is here to uh, just be in it, you know, for themselves as opposed to it's corny as heck, but um you know, who's in it really for the team effort. Um, so, yeah, I, I think those are my takeaways. Yeah, let's save that again for, like, the after the break because we're going to talk about, like, in hindsight, what do you wish could have been, you know, done differently. So keep that point as well. Um, Tommy, what about you in terms of how do you take this season with a grain of salt in terms of how badly it went? Uh, Alan mentioned some things off the top of his head already, but obviously we were the number one team in the NBA for the first month and a half, right? Yeah, uh, we yeah. ended this season as the number one defensive rated team, which is yeah. incredible given how banged up Anthony Davis and LeBron James both were at separate times. It's not yeah. like they were both out at the same time and we still weathered the storm. Even guys we were talking about like Kuzma and Schroeder, right? Kuzma literally objectively had his best all-around season as a pro. He was reliable defensively. He hit threes at a you know, a good volume, hitting two a game, and then got back to his rookie season of shooting 36%. I think Mm -hmm. he probably could have shot 38% if not for a couple games where he was literally like one for nine or something, and he just had bad games. And even his playoff games, if you remove the last two games, yes, he didn't shoot threes well or whatever, but he was essential in the play-in game against the Golden State Warriors. Uh, He had that game against the Suns where he just was rebounding the hell out of the ball, even though his shot wasn't falling, and he was doing all the, the dirty... 3 and D sort of things we've come to rely upon him on uh, for. It was really the last two games where all of a sudden AD goes down and Kuzma is out of nowhere thrust into a position to be like, hey, Kuzma, you need to be rookie Kuz again out of nowhere, Uh, which he probably wasn't prepared for, you know, but as the starting forward playing 30 plus minutes this season, he still averaged 15 points, six rebounds, 2.5 assists on 43% from the field, 34.5% from three, knocking down 2.4 a game. It's hard to find someone that can just plug into a a situation like that and produce, right? And you know Kuzma can, whether he's a starter or you just bring him off the bench and tell him, do all the dirty work. Schroeder, I hate this guy. You guys know it. Uh, He still still had his moments, though, without Anthony Davis and LeBron James, where he had a couple double-double takeover games where, you know, once he got past his COVID problems, he really showed, like, hey— I can get assists and play the right way, and I can put pressure on the defense and get these 20-point games as well. It just was kind of few and far between as the course of the season went on. And obviously, the the biggest thing that's like probably lingering in everybody's minds is the offer. Um, but you put you take that all into account and you realize, okay, 
this isn't all that bad. So Tommy, where do you stand with that regard and, you know, the grain of salt of things when it comes to, yeah, you know what, if we, t if t we take a bird's eye view of everything, maybe it is all just about injuries and shoring some, some things up here and there on the side. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of good signs pointing towards that, right? I think the big, big one for me is not that I thought it was a fluke, right? But it, it kind of brings to home the fact that last season was not a fluke in terms of Frank Vogel as a defensive coach. Because you, mm -hmm. you start to look at what pieces of this roster, and I guess maybe a better way of saying it, what pieces of this team are going to be the pieces moving forward? And you hope that you have a coach. It's hard to find a good coach in the NBA, I mean, we we see it every year with some of these playoff teams and and how they struggle with you know it seems like the rot the talent is there on paper but they never quite get there and you want to feel comfortable that you have the right guy pushing you forward and the fact that like you said we it's now the second year of this it's teams have had a whole year of scouting uh, we obviously won the championship I mean teams have had ample ample time to scout our, us defensively. And the fact that we continue to adapt to scouting, we adapt to guys getting injured, we adapt to massive roster overhaul, we adapt to playing guys significant minutes who historically were not known as great defenders. Montrez, you know, for example, Montrez Harrell, uh, even Andre Drummond, right, for a stretch at the last third of the season. Um, to play through all of that and finish with the number one defensive uh, efficiency rating in the league is phenomenal. Um, to play... 30 games approximately without LeBron and AD. I, I don't think there is a coach in the league that could have carried this roster to about a 500 record without LeBron and AD for 30 games. I mean, that that's like, yeah, that's, that's pretty insane. So you start looking at all that stuff, you know, I know, you know, your hate, your disdain for Schroeder is well-documented, but <laughs> it's uh, yeah. it, it, it was nice to see what certain guys can look like, you know, what, what type of archetypes look like around LeBron and AD. So we saw that with Schroeder in terms of like his, his uh, not playmaking, but his ability to create a shot for himself and his ability to score. Uh, what does a high usage player like Schroeder look like in that position next to LeBron and AD? It was nice to get that look. It was nice to get, like you mentioned, the Kuzma uh, increased minutes and role and kind of see what he could be. It was really nice to get Taylor Horton Tucker twenty minutes a game playing damn you know damn near the whole season, um, yeah, and start to let him develop uh, quite a bit more. So there were some definitely some positives to take away from this season. I mean, I I, I don't want to take anything away from the teams that are still playing because there would be so millions and millions of NBA fans who will do that given how all the injuries have gone this year. And you know, whoever wins, they played the teams that were in front of them, and that's that's what they did. Um, yeah, but. You know, putting all that aside, I think objectively you can kind of look at this roster and say, like, okay, I we had as good of a shot as anyone to really win it all this year. And it's unfortunate that, you know, the injuries didn't – last year they kind of – everything fell in our favor. This year was the opposite of that in pretty much every respect. Um, and and so, you know, I think I think you kind of – there are enough good things to take away from the season and you kind of retool – mostly around the uh, around the edges, to be honest. And you come back next year, and I think you're in great shape. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing that kind of lends itself to the recency bias that probably prevailed over everybody's heads is the fact that LeBron James was literally an MVP candidate before he went down. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was the front runner. He, he wasn't was the even front a runner, right? He was the front runner, yeah.
So I think it goes back to Alan's point that once he got that almost football-like injury where some dude is diving towards his ankles, before that, he looked reju- like a rejuvenated LeBron. Remember, like, coming into the season, we actually thought he would ramp things down, sort of like AD, take his yeah. time. Instead, he was like, I'm playing every damn game after this bubble yeah, championship. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, okay. LeBron James coming in in full force. But that seems like three years ago, right? It's hard to, fr- it's hard to remember, though, that... LeBron James was a legitimate MVP candidate this season. So we can only hope with the most amount of rest that he's had since the the random pandemic rest that he got. And look what happened when he came back after that and played in the bubble that we'll get an approximation of this sort of LeBron James, even if it is like a rung or two lower. So um, with that said, we'll take it to break. And when we return, we will get a little bit pessimistic, Peter, and just talk about now that we have hindsight, like what things we wish could have been done or handled differently. Alan already kind of touched upon it about some things that he saw uh, amidst certain players' objectives, personal objectives for themselves and the team and that sort of not meshing. But we'll get into, I guess, some other things that we kind of observe personally. So we will catch you guys after the break. All right, so we are back. So yeah, I think for me, I I obviously, through the course of this podcast, have uh, expressed my displeasure with certain things, some certain misutilizations, mishandlings of, I guess, how things were portrayed in the media too, just because... I think we have a we have perspective from the previous year of like what a well-oiled machine looks like, right? And granted, you can't really compare everything to that magical season because I mean, it just makes you miss miss like Dwight Howard, Rajon Rondo, Quinn Cook, and all those guys so much more because you just could not break the chemistry of that team, right? But I, I, I think for me, there were still some things that were shaky about this season's team, even before LeBron went down, even before AD went down. So I guess my question to you guys is, um, yeah, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. but what do you wish could have been done or handled differently outside of the injuries? Because I think you could see the cracks um, yeah. happening in several areas. And Tommy and I actually had an episode like this that seemed sort of nihilistic. We recorded that episode after we lost to the Wizards or something without Bradley Beal, and it just seemed like the team didn't care anymore. <laughs> or they were saying yeah. some weird stuff, right, that that showed you yep. for the first time that they were maybe taking this season, taking the wrong approach to this season, and now that they realized their backs were up against the wall and they were running out of time, it was almost like, well, you know what? There's nothing we could do about it if we're injured and all that stuff, and starting to make some excuses for themselves. And that's when I realized... I don't know, man, this team does not feel like last year's team, obviously. And maybe you point a lot of that to cohesion, right, um, as a group, not getting to, you know, bond with each other the way that last year's team did. Because, you know, if you for, if you remember, last year's team got a full season, almost a full season to, you know, hang out with each other, get dinners with each other. This season, they were still under pandemic protocols, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, and then they were forced to bond in the bubble. They had no choice to have pizza parties. Exactly, exactly, yeah, exactly. exactly. So the, the, the chemistry was impenetrable last season, so maybe that's an unfair comparison. But I guess, Alan, for you, and you touched upon one already, but what are some things that you wish could have been done or handled differently, even if it was, you know, out of some people's control or power? Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, compared to last year... It's so funny because we were concerned about chemistry, right? Yeah. Like, how is Dwight going to coexist with, you know, That's Rondo true. and the whole thing? Like, uh, this just seems like the most random mix of characters, Motley Crue, whatever you want to call it. And now we're praising it like this was such a special group of guys, which it was. 
um so it just goes to show you like how well we can predict <laughs> how things are gonna go and that sort of thing um so i mean like clear differences between then that year's squad and this year's we have a lot more like younger players on this team like a dennis schroeder or schroeder <laughs> like a montrez harrell who are you know they're looking to like get theirs um and it's like you don't blame them because they're they're young guys they're in their 20s that this is they're hitting their prime right now this could be their last big contract you know at this point so there's a lot on the line for them um and in terms of how that impacted like we'll, we'll just talk about schroeder you know first um you know the way that he plays the game the, the thing is like it was consistent with what he's been though right like the mm -hmm. way that he played for us wasn't significantly different from how he played in okc not that we watched a ton of thunder basketball or anything like that um that's just like his style and you're right like it, it never really quite meshed um so I, I don't know if that's like necessarily an attitude thing although of course you could talk about the contract that was or wasn't you know we don't really know that stuff um but clearly now <laughs> he sounds like he really wants to be a part of this team and he, he's he's saying it pretty um pretty bluntly although he keeps throwing in the as long as it's fair kind of caveat in there which is a bit ominous and it's like well no shit like of course it's going to be fair but what's your definition of that right um Wait, Alan, can we land on Schroeder too? Because I think he's of course, a good. Uh, he, it's it's well documented. Well, I'll, I'll <laughs> say I, I want to talk about Schroeder because he's literally the start of our shift into next season, right? He was literally the first move that we made. It's crazy that we only had a month to celebrate the team that was last year, and then the, we traded guys immediately afterwards. We should seriously do the parade in LA just whenever. Like, let's do it Absolutely. tomorrow, June fifteenth, right? Like, yeah. that's when everything opens up. We're not busy. Season premiere of Space Jam should also be a Lakers parade <laughs> into the th movie theater or something like that. Um, but let's talk about Schroeder because, and Tommy, you can chime in on this too, but I, I don't know how you felt about it. If you remember the discourse surrounding when we got Schroeder, all of a sudden we hear Schroeder demands that he's a starter. Vogel says, okay, he's going to start. And for me, I was like, really? Just like that? With no like, and obviously I don't know what happened behind the scenes, but I think you know, seeing that and seeing the way we handled certain things throughout the season, including how we handled Drummond, et cetera, et cetera, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I thought we were sort of this like impenetrable, like we had this sort of culture where you have to earn it first. And if we feel like you haven't earned it, here's your role for the time being, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee. Now, obviously, there's different contexts with Schroeder being on his last year, right? So you have to also balance that out because you know you want to retain him. But I don't know if, if that foreshadowed anything for you of how this team might be a little bit more, I don't know. I, I don't want to call it like a, a chink or a crack in the culture, but it does feel like a little, you know, I, I don't know if last year's team would have been so, yeah, Schroeder's is going to be a starter because he demanded to be a starter, et cetera, et cetera. I, okay, I think my high level take on all of this is I actually think the team chemistry was probably better than people realize. I think it didn't get covered that much because of COVID and there weren't that many practices and the media wasn't around this team nearly as much as they typically are. Um, I think a, these guys all liked each other. I, I think yeah. Schroeder, you know, he is who he is and maybe he's a little bit Maybe, you know, some people might think he's kind of a jerk, but I, a lot of people are jerks and they, you know, that doesn't mean their teammates don't like them. Right. And I think, I think everybody, including, you know, 
the little weird thing that happened with Marcus all when we signed Andre Drummond, like I, even, even that I think we dealt with. And I think on most teams that wouldn't have worked, but it worked with our team because I think our team chemistry and a lot of guys said this, like guys like Montrez, even Schroeder, like they said, this was like the West Matthews who's been in the league for 20 years. It feels like, you know, they all said that like, this is like the closest team they've ever been on. And it to us didn't even feel as close as last year. Right. So I, I think at a high level, I sort of disagree a little bit with the general premise. I, I think the team had just as good chemistry. Uh, oh no, that I given the circumstances. Sure. Yeah. Given the circumstances, I, I think to your point though, and this isn't even necessarily just a Schroeder thing, but I think the one big change, and it started from the top down. You yep. know, even the general management, the coaching, we were a lot more accommodating to. Outside basket, outside of basketball influences this year than we were last year. Uh, like mm-hmm. you said, last year, and I think part of it is the nature of how the team was built. Last year, there was a point in time where the only people that were on the roster were LeBron, AD, Kuzma, and Jared Dudley. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so that team was built from ground zero up, and everybody who signed on knew exactly what they were signing up for and were agreed to the day they inked the contract, right? It was different here. We were bringing guys, some guys back from last year's team. We had traded for some guys who didn't necessarily choose to be here. Schroeder's one example of that. We had signed some guys who maybe thought they were signing into roles that were not necessarily in the best interest of the team or were going to potentially change over the course of the season. I think Gasol, Wes, uh, Andre Drummond are all examples of that. And it created this sort of, I'm not going to say like the Clippers are of last year are a point of reference, because I think that is a very extreme example of kind of what happened with us this year, but it's more on that end of the spectrum than we were last year, right? Like the Clippers, mm-hmm of 2019 or 2019, 2020, we're letting Kawhi Leonard live in San Diego and we're letting like Paul George and, and Kawhi like run the team. Right. So it wasn't that extreme, but it was more of the, like, you know, to get on Schroeder's good side, because we knew getting him was going to be somewhat important, whether or not we want to keep him long-term, it's going to be somewhat important to our future to potentially important to our future to ink him to a deal so that he is an asset for us in some capacity, whether he's playing or we trade him for somebody else. So we had to be accommodating to him. And he came in, but guns blazing, like, I'm not a, I'm not a bench player. I'm a starter actually. And you know, there are the German interviews before we even traded for him about how he didn't want to get traded to the Lakers or the Clippers. Cause he wants to be, he wanted to have like a bigger role. Right. And so that, that was one example. You know, the Andre Drummond thing, Rob, and this is what I meant by, like, top-down. Like, apparently, one of the reasons we were so linked to him uh, early is Rob was telling his agent, we're going to start him. To, to promise somebody like that who has not been, like, part of the team and has some, frankly, fairly obvious gaps in their game that might make it hard for them to adjust to to being on a winning team for the first time in their entire career, career really um, – it, it's just like a different mindset that wasn't – it felt like we were ego massaging too much and not enough, you know, worrying solely about winning at, at, at all costs. And, mm-hmm. if, you know, it wasn't the case of like, you know, if you're signing this this contract here, you know what you're signing up for and this is the culture and this is the type of team you're joining. And so 
uh, you know, Schroeder's one example of that, but I, I think like across the board, it, you know, you, you start seeing like, or you mentioned like, where did you start seeing the signs? I, it started with the Schroeder and Danny Green trade, right? And and it's been like every signing that's come since then has felt like that a little bit. Like it d- didn't feel like Marcus All was necessarily here just to be a part of this team. It felt like he was here because he was sort of told like, this is how you fit in and this is going to be your role. And, and it felt like Montrez Harrell was, was, you know, kind of assigning to get like a name in here who, you know, he was presumably promised, yep. like you were going to get six man of the year type minutes. And, and so like it, it, every step of the way, it kind of, kind of felt like that. And so I don't know. So I guess my question to you is that, and I, and again, I think a large part of this too is context dictated how the Lakers in some ways should approach their free agents and the guys they sign, right? So I don't necessarily even blame them. I just hope that now that we've seen what a season of doing that looks like, we rejigger things back to the middle and like gain some of our, you know, authority again and ownership over stuff where we don't need, because in some ways, I don't think you're implying this, but it kind of felt desperate a little bit, you know? A little bit, yeah. The Drummond thing, especially because it's like, Drummond's not the type of player you do this for because we only have him for two months, even still. And then on top of it, you know, if you believe the rumors that we're trying to retain him, I mean, I don't even know if he's the type of player that you would do this for, even if you think you can retain him, even though you only have like $5 million, mini MLE to use on him, et cetera. But that's beside the point. Yeah, I just think moving into next year that we regain more of our, not that you can't massage players' egos because you, there are other things involved, like trying to get them on their second contract or whatever. I think that's just all part of the game, right? That's what you have to do as an agent. That's what you have to do as a GM, et cetera. I understand that. But hopefully we regain more of our identity from last season where it is like, hey, this is your role. You're going to stick with it. If you have problems, let's talk about it and see if we can come to a compromise, et cetera, et cetera. Because it really, the Marcus All thing, it did not seem like Frank Vogel communicated that well with him to the point where Marcus All was considering, you know, asking for a buyout. He eventually said, I didn't want to buy out because I was thinking about my kids, right? But before we heard about the buyout rumors, we thought that everything was gravy because, you know, we give Frank the benefit of the doubt. He's talked to Marcus about this and any gripes Marcus has, it's just default. Of course, any player who all of a sudden gets shifted down would be disappointed. But we later find out that, oh, Marcus actually wanted a buyout. Maybe this was more deep seated than we thought. I thought Frank talked to this fool. You know what I mean? And the problem with, I guess, rolling out the red carpet for Andre Drummond the way that we did is, when you get to the playoffs and you have to play, give him a DNP, you've set him up with that mentality already that I'm this dude that's coming in to save your day. You know, I'm the third guy next to LeBron James and AD. And then all of a sudden, when you have to pull him and DNP him for the sake of trying to win a game, then he's going to be pissed off, you know? And then there goes your plans of trying to retain him. So it's just like, I guess, a lack of footing on your own principles and identity. Alan, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Again, context dictates this, but. Is very like a future oriented approach, you know, which of course, like you have to have that considering uh, the position that the roster's in and things like that. But if the goal is I'm going to have one eye on, of course, like winning this season and putting together a cohesive team that can function effectively, but also what the future holds for you, you know, and your goals as a player for your career. I mean, yeah, maybe it sounds like, um, like those things just didn't mesh, right? It was kind of like oil and water at times mm-hmm. where is Dwight going to care if he gets DNPs? I mean, yeah, of course he's going to care, but like he knows what he is, right? 
And it's not about some long-term thing of, oh, we want you to be a Laker for the rest of your life or whatever. Um, like, we're focused on the moment, like, right here and right now. And this is just what we got to do. We'll worry about all that other stuff later. Um, but if we're thinking about, we're promising you that you'll be a starter. That way we can resign you for next year and you'll continue to start and all this other crap. It's like, whoa, there's way too many variables and things that can pop up to be making those types of promises, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's end it like this, Tommy. Are there any things that you wish... I guess what what do you wish that we take away from this season that you hope like whether whether it's the front office, the coach, the players that they can take with them into this next uh, season? I can go first and just say um, I think our and I will also say that I empathize with everybody's problems this year of the fast turnaround. And I think that even goes for Rob Palenka, right? By all accounts, objectively, he did the best job he could with the offseason. On paper, you would not disagree with any of the moves he made, especially with the quick turnaround. But now I'm starting to think, did that quick turnaround, you know, sort of make, I don't want to say lose himself and his identity, but if he didn't have such a quick turnaround, would would he have been a little bit more judicious about fit? Instead of, like you said, big name, big name, big name, those work. Okay, here we go. You know, I'm almost wondering if the big turnaround just made Rob go, let's see the biggest names that we can get regardless of fit and all that stuff. Even though this is hindsight talking here, when we signed all of those guys, we were like, this is the best Lakers roster we've ever had, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. But I just think that the truncated offseason just did a spell on everybody. But Putting that aside, what are some things that can be learned from this season that you hope can sort of, you know, rejigger back to the middle that looks a little bit more like last year? Well, first I'll say, to put all of this in perspective, if we brought back literally the exact same team last year, this year, and we had the same injuries, this team's not making the playoffs. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, this team's not making the playoffs. We get swept by this. If we do make the playoffs somehow, like, we let's say we make the, they put us in at the seventh seed and bring back, you know, swap the rosters, we're getting swept, right? Like, I, I mean, it's it. he did not just what seemed like a good idea at the time, but, you know, even factoring in the injuries objectively maybe was the best thing he could have done, you know, overall, like mm-hmm. he, he turned Danny green, who was essentially a, by the time the finals rolled around, like a non-factor. And we've seen like his issue with his injury again in the playoffs this year, he turned that into a guy who was very productive for us. He used the MLE on the, on the reigning six man of the year who averaged 13 points a game and, and had a P a efficiency rating of the only guy on our team besides LeBron and AD who was over 20. Right. So he he did some good moves, but in terms of an attitude, I kind of I I, I think it all goes back to I, I hope that there's more of a more of a firm stance taken of like we're the Lakers, we won the championship, we have LeBron and AD. You come to mm-hmm. us, yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's like to your point about Andre Drummond. I don't know that we needed to sell ourselves out to get Andre Drummond because we had a guy, (laughs) I don't want to be this guy because there's a lot of these people on Twitter, but we had a guy in Damian Jones who signed two 10 day contracts with us who did some stuff for us. Like, I'm not saying like in the playoffs, he makes a difference, but he was a serviceable player. And I guess the point of that is you will be able to find serviceable players who will like, who want to be here and will they'll be the ones who will like do everything in their power to come to us. And, and maybe more this year we need to, we need to be in that position, like, like use that position of like, this is the culture we're we're trying to build. If you don't want it, we have to let you walk. And it might be a hard decision to let a guy like Montrezl Harrell, who wants to come here for $9 million, which seems like crazy below his market, let that, let that type of player walk. And maybe it'll seem dumb at the time, but at the end of the day, 
your your roster is LeBron and AD and the pieces around, I don't want to say they don't matter, um, but it's like uh, uh, Mike Trudell and, and, you know, when we did a preseason thing with Pete uh, before last season, when, when uh, Pete, Pete, I think mentioned to us, you know, I was talking to Trudell about this and he said, like, he raised the point that like a lot of guys overthink it at the end of the day, you have LeBron and AD. Yeah. And, you know, to say the rest doesn't matter is oversimplifying it, but it, it, you, you can't sell yourself out for the rest because what you really care about is you have LeBron and AD and you'll figure out the rest. Yeah. And I think, so one thing I'll add on top of that is, again, I think all the moves that Rob Palenka made were shrewd and he couldn't have done a better job. I, I hope they focus more again on culture, cohesion, and continuity because losing Rashawn Rondo was huge from a leadership standpoint. And then also what he brought on the table in terms of playmaking, especially with what happened to Marc Gasol and him being nullified, his playmaking being nullified because there was a point where Frank Vogel just didn't want to play him, you know? So I think if maybe Rob Polinka had a little bit more time in his, in the off season, and you know, there are different competing factors here to take into account, including Rajon Rondo being offered another contract from another team, et cetera. But I don't know. Maybe if you do it all over again, you place more emphasis on doing everything you can to retain Dwight Howard, who ended up signing for the vet minimum, you know, retaining Rajon Rondo. And especially now that we know, okay, Anthony Davis really doesn't want to play center throughout the regular season. And for good reason, because he wants to save his body. So we really need a bruising center. Dwight Howard is like the perfect guy to do that, you know, even if you know you have to pull him situationally, etc. So... Yeah, I just hope that, and I, I think they know this too, which is why Rob Palinka has said, you know, we kind of want to run it back. So he says, but I think that lends to this team not having had cohesion and continuity. And so I think going into this offseason with that mindset and that approach of just regardless of talent first off, it's just trying to establish cohesion and continuity again. And maybe that that goes with not totally blowing the whole roster up just because it didn't work out at the end. But yeah, Alan, is there anything that you wish, any lessons that you take from this season that you want to impart on anybody on the roster or the front office, et cetera? Um, I mean, I, I agree with everything, uh, especially the culture, you know, part of it. Um, it. It doesn't get rebuilt overnight, right? So mm-hmm. we won the championship. Obviously, that's very affirming. Um, and I mean, that was like year one, you know, of this new Laker team. And the fact that we didn't like seemingly stick to that same, um, you know, attitude and like set of values or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Hopefully it is actually just a learning experience, right? Like, okay, one thing worked, this other thing didn't, we tried to get a little bit, you know, cute or whatever you want to call it. So let's, uh, let's reevaluate, right. Our approach and our process and maybe find some middle ground between those two things. Um, at the end of the day, it's not like it was a massive failure. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, it's, it's, that's the whole overreaction, you know, part of it. So uh, we don't have to reinvent the wheel, but we, c- we can definitely tweak some things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, um, where the heck was I going to go with this? I just totally lost my train of thought. Um, Tommy, do you have anything else you want to say before we close this? Go Lakers. <laughs> go Lakers. No. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Oh, you go ahead. 
Okay, what I wanted to say was, can we please, okay, just from a more tangible perspective, can we please get an offensive coordinator? We know that Frank Vogel yeah, 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 can coach yeah. defense, but can we, from like a tactical standpoint, we cannot be this bad offensively with Anthony Davis nice. and LeBron James. It would just, and, and look, I think all signs are pointing, with all the vacancies in the NBA, all signs are pointing to us losing Jason Kidd, which is fine. I mean, and, and he deserves another shot, but... Let's use this opportunity or opportunity to replace him with somebody who is strictly offensive minded. I'm not saying you need to go hire Mike D'Antoni or you know somebody like that extreme, but somebody who can draw a play out of uh, you know your expert for drawing plays out of timeout. Like literally, that in and of itself will help us so much, right? Um, w- only other point I wanted to make was we we also with the given the fact that we have an aging roster we're we're balancing a few things we're balancing a, a little bit uh of age in in terms of lebron and we're also balancing certain guys who we we've had too many guys i think on a roster really both years it just didn't come back to bite us uh in the first year of lebron and ad because they were both healthy the whole time we're too we we can't we can't have too many guys who are too one-dimensional. We need we need more versatility, and I mean versatility, you know, in all respects. Like, frankly, I love Jared Dudley. Okay, I love Quinn Cook. <laughs> They're good players. They were, you know, fine signings, and they seem to make sense at the time. But we can't be using valuable roster space on guys like this, right? Like your point about Rajon Rondo. Maybe we weren't ready to give him seven million, and frankly, if we knew we were going to be hard capped, we were not able to give him seven million. Um, so maybe it was the right move to get Schroeder to replace him. But why then did we not think like, okay, we should probably try to replace that ball hand, you know, playmaking and ball handling mm-hmm. with somebody else instead of just bringing back Quinn Cook, who frankly, his Quinn Cook's sole value to this team was to be a playmaker. Like we already we brought in more guys who could, or excuse me, to be a team chemistry guy. We brought in guys who could shoot. We brought in guys who could do, you know, some other things in the backcourt, play defense, whatever. But, you know, why – we can't be so solely focused on Ben McLemore is our shooter. Alex Caruso is our defender. It, we need, as we've seen multiple times in the playoffs, like you need guys who can do more than one thing. And so I hope there's more of an emphasis put on that. Well, last year, even though we had Rajon Rondo, we even had a guy like Avery Bradley who could at least do something with the ball as well, you exactly. know, and pull up for a exactly. mid-range jump shot. And this year, it didn't seem like we had the proper buffer for any of those things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think you guys get the point of what we're trying to say. Nothing, this l- whole last segment seems a lot more, I don't know, negative than it probably is in reality. It's just these are like the little cracks at the edges here that we just noticed and observed that could be shored up, but the main thing will be injuries and being healthier next year, and LeBron James and Anthony Davis getting a full offseason to rest and rehab. And the biggest thing for me is internal improvement from THT. This is the first real offseason THT is going to get once again, where, you know, coming into the bubble, we already saw improvement from the pandemic break. But now we're going to get to see, okay, he got a full season, his first full season of getting, you know, you know, 15 to 20 minutes a game. He understands the pace that he has to play with now, what he's up against, and what is he going to look like with a full offseason to progress and, you know, shore up some of his deficiencies, which he already mentioned. I hope to come, da- come back next year as a knockdown shooter. And that would be amazing because that's exactly what we need, you know, and him to maybe slow down a little bit with some of his drives and whatnot. But overall... That's pretty much it. Alan said it. Go Lakers. 
exciting offseason to come. And uh, yeah, with that said, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. And we will see you guys sometime in the next month or two months. And just enjoy your offseason, get your rest and uh, recuperate. And Alan, take us out somehow. <laughs> um, I hope the Clippers get bounced again in the second yeah. round. See you later, Clippers. <laughs> L-A-R way, Snoop Dogg. Hope you're doing well. All right. Uh, we, <laughs> we, we will catch you guys later. Alan, Tommy, see ya. Later. Later. Peace.